0: One and I love the line in that song that as I stand and sing, you are breaking the chains off of me. What an amazing truth that is to know that nothing that can hold us down from what God has for us. And so, uh, let me just say this as an encouragement: uh, if you're here this morning uh, and you are bound by anything, uh, you feel like just there's a weight uh, that's holding you down, holding you back. Uh, my encouragement to you, my my challenge to you would be, surrender that this morning. Uh, surrender that to the, the foot of the cross. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, uh, let me promise you that knowing Christ does not take away all trials. Knowing Christ does not remove all struggles and stresses and hard times that we go through in life. But knowing Christ means that whatever we go through, we have a relationship with him and he is always with us. And uh, we there was a phrase that was in our men's Bible study last two weeks ago, that I can't remember the exact wording of it, but it was something along the lines of uh, being a follower of Christ means we have no idea where God is going to take us in our life. But wherever we go, we know that he is always with us in our life. And so what a confidence we have to know that as a follower of Christ, yes, things come up in our lives that we don't expect or plan for, but man, what a blessing to know that we never go through them alone. Never. And some of you have experienced that. Some of you experience experienced those types of situations where you know what it is to have the love and the peace and the grace of God just lift you out of those situations where the circumstances stayed exactly the same, but it was just different. And you can't put your, word, your, your, your finger on it. You can't put it into words, but you just would have to stop and say, man, praise God for this and what he's doing in my life. And so if you're here this morning and you need to be lifted, I pray that you would experience that this morning through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, this morning, we're starting a brand new series. Uh, it's entitled Culture Wars. And uh, let me just say at the onset, I'm really excited about this series. Um, and, and I want to make sure I explain the title a little bit more. This is not implying that we are to be aggressively attacking those around us. Uh, what I'm saying is that as a follower of Christ in this world... We are at war with the culture around us. And what does culture mean? We'll get to that in a minute. But it's not the people, by the way. It's the mindsets. It's the the worldview. And as a follower of Christ, we have to make sure that no matter what happens in the culture around us, that we stand true on the word of God, that we know how to be in the world, but not of the world. And so we're going to walk through that for the next four weeks and talk about how can we see that in our lives today? Because listen, there's a lot of things in our culture that are just really messed up today. Just some crazy stuff going on. But as we're going to find out, it's not new. We're not the only generation, the only Christian church to experience this in the, in the church age. And in fact, it's not even uncommon to humanity to experience what we're experiencing today. Sometimes I think that when we're in it, we think it's the worst it's ever been. And it seems like it's pretty bad But we're going to talk about the fact that is it all bad? And how do we respond then to the fact that it's all bad? Do we just quit? Do we just give up? Do we just hide in our churches? How do we respond to the culture around us? And so to understand fully and to comprehend fully what surrounds us in this culture, this morning we're going to start the series off by talking about understanding the culture, to understand the culture around us. The definition I would like to share as to what I mean by the culture around us for this entire series would be this. Culture would mean the customary beliefs, social forms, material traits of a social group. Also, the characteristic features of everyday existence, such as diversions or a way of life shared by a people in a place or time. That's the definition of what we're looking at as far as culture. A group of people that have similar habits, similar lifestyles, that are sharing a space and time. A people in a group that are sharing and coexisting, if you will, in a similar place and a similar time. That's our culture. Now, some of you grew up in a generation where the culture was much different. Some of you grew up, and if you remember this, you would go to church and to wear anything but a suit and a dress would be really foreign to your church culture. To some of you, that's just—and it was not—it wasn't even uncommon in the culture as a whole. Everyone dressed that way when they would go out of the house. It was just how it was. Some of you grew up in a culture where you had no exposure to church, no exposure to anything Christian or Bible, and so for you, even going to church is not part of your culture as you were growing up. Once upon a time, by the way, in our country— Once upon a time, going to church was the cultural norm. Now, we got to go back a little ways. We're talking the 1950s, early 1960s. There was a trend where it was one of the largest times that people, it just was normal to go to church. And that meant everyone was a Christian, right? All those people flooding in the church services Sunday after Sunday, they were all Christians. Do you know that today, nowadays... Roughly four out of ten, depending on the statistics in the studies, three to four out of ten Americans attend church regularly. Regularly being more than maybe once or twice a month. From a cultural norm where everyone seemingly went to church to where now in our culture today, three or four out of every ten Americans attend church regularly. See, it's not part of our cultural norm anymore to do what we're doing right now. And we're going to talk about what has changed in our culture. How is our world changed? And how do we respond to that? You and I, as followers of Christ, are sharing the everyday existence with others around us in this country. However, to be sure, Christians, if you understand the New Testament, are truly a subculture in the world because our values, our understanding of right and wrong, are not set by human understanding, but by the inspired word of God. You see, we exist in this world today. We are to be in the world. But I believe when Jesus said not of the world, he meant your values, your loves, your desires should not be dictated to you by the culture around you. It should be dictated to us by the word of God, as we talked about last week, that firm foundation that we stand on. But that's really hard, isn't it? I mean, can we just be honest for a minute? Our culture is saturated with self, with lust, with get what you want when you want it and call it the American dream and it's okay. And Christians are buying it up, man. They're just lapping that up and the culture is consuming them. I'll use a really silly example and I want you to think about it in your own context. I enjoy sports. I like watching sports on TV. I know some of you guys could care less about sports. That's great. You have other passions that you enjoy. And I've noticed something in my life the last couple years that I'm so thankful the Holy Spirit's beginning to reveal this to me. And it's taken a while because I'm pretty hard-headed. Anyone else hard-headed here this morning? A little thick? Okay? you got to get that same message 15, 20, 30,000 times. Okay? And I, it's worse because I'm a man. Right? We just, we're just we extra special hard-headed. Men are. You know, women, I mean, you're, sometimes you can be a little hard-headed. Let's be honest. Let's be real in here, okay? It's church. But men... I've always said it, and, and you've heard me say this before, in the Bible. Isn't it interesting that God always had to say a man's name twice? Abraham, Abraham, Joseph, Joseph. I mean, why do you have to say it twice? Because he knew we're hard-headed. We weren't listening the first time. We barely listened the second time. We're like, wait, did he talk to me? We're like in a, in a Godfather movie else of You talking to me? I mean, what's, it's, it God's like, listen. Listen. Now, when you think about this, I, in my own life, it happened just last night, and I'm, so, I'm embarrassed by it, but I want to be transparent with you this morning because this is what it is to see, man, how much we allow ourselves. Some of you guys may have heard Michigan lost last night. Here's the crazy part, and it's all in fun. I mean, I, I walked up to Jason uh, Coning, who's a, a state alum, graduated from MSU, and uh, I said, hey, congratulations, you beat our backup quarterback. Good job. We lost. It's fine, but... Here's the thing. Yeah, excuses, excuses, right? And if we would have won, they would have had some excuse of their own. But anyway, here's what happened during the game. There was a point in the game where things weren't going very well early on. And Josiah was trying to talk to me about something. And I was getting so worked up about the game. This is, this is, this is stupidity. Ignorance. And you guys can laugh and kind of nod your head because guess what? You, you're going to know where I'm going with this. I actually snapped at my six-year-old Because he was trying to talk to me while I was watching the game. Do you realize in that moment I realized how ignorant I was acting? And I'm so thankful the Spirit said, man, you're letting this culture dictate to you. What culture? That sports fanatic culture. Dictate to me my emotions were being controlled by a game that I had no effect in or interest in. I snapped at my son because I got upset by a game. Now, do I turn the TV off and never watch sports again? No, I understand you put it in the box that is sports. and See, that's a small, silly example, but guess what that shows? This external cultural norm, because here's what I say when I say that, people go, well, everyone gets that way with the game. That's the problem. We're not everyone. We're not everyone. Get excited about the game, get fired up, sure, great. But man, to lose my temper over something so silly. And it showed me I was letting that control me. So here's what I want to challenge you on. Here's what God spoke to me about even last night. when I, was, I, was, I mean, I already prepared for this a week or two ago. He was just saying to me, man, what in your church, what things in the church life are people allowing to control their emotions, to control them that way? Some of you, man, it might be shopping. It might be some other hobby or expression but we allow things in our culture to actually influence us to the point where it controls our emotions, the kind of day we're having, how we feel, instead of running to the Word of God and saying, no, this dictates how I live my life. This dictates how I feel emotionally, how I see myself, my self-worth. Some of you battle with self-worth and self-image because the culture has told you you have to look like this and act like that and have this and have that. And you actually wake up in the morning feeling bad about yourself because you don't have the things the culture says you're supposed to have. And do you see how it can just kind of, it just creeps in. We've got to be on guard. And again, you might say, oh, Pastor, you're just being silly. You're kind of, that's an extreme view. I don't think it is. I think it shows that we need to be extra guarded. We live in the world, but we're not of the world. You can enjoy all these hobbies and events and things and have fun with it. But the minute it starts to control you, man, now there's an issue. Because now it's affecting your testimony for Christ. And I'm just being honest with you guys, transparent. Man, I I blew it last night. Blew it. I've had to apologize to Sandra, and I was like, look, I'm really sorry for being that way. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you get that passionate about things. And you think, oh, what's the big deal? It's it's not that big of a deal. I just got worked up. That's the point. What made you get worked up? Man, we got to be so careful. And that's what this series series is hopefully going to help me and all of us understand. What is it to be in the world but not of the world? Man, have fun. Love sports. Love hobbies. Enjoy all those things. But make sure it's in the right place spots in your life. Make sure that it doesn't influence you more than the person in the work of Jesus Christ as he speaks through the word of God. Some people think it's silly. I don't know that I think it's silly. I think it just shows, again, what am I allowing to control me? Am I giving myself over to something to control me other than the Holy Spirit? And and this is a critical thing. You might think, man, that's kind of a tough question. I want us to be critical thinkers and think through. Don't just go through your day and just live your day like as though it's just another day. Now, we have a special purpose and calling as a follower of Jesus Christ that no matter what your profession is, what your hobbies are, everything you do in your life is subjected to one truth, the gospel over all. Jesus over all. I don't care if you're a plumber, a painter, a school teacher, a nurse. it, It really is irrelevant what you do for a living. Other than that's the calling God has given you. Greater than all of that is this person named Jesus Christ. Who says, hey, if you're my follower, you follow me through all vocations. That's what controls our emotion. That's what controls our values. What we deem as something, how we spend our time, how we spend our money. Where we invest our money versus where we don't because of our values set by the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're going to dig into for the next four weeks. And I promise you, it's not about living as monks in a cave. It's not about withdrawing from everything that's in the world. It's about having a discerning spirit to say, where are those lines in my life? There are some people, I know, because they were all over social media, there are some people that literally... Couldn't go to sleep last night. Literally, probably woke up this morning in a bad mood because of what happened yesterday. Really? I mean, I'm just telling you, and listen, we got to be so careful because it just creeps in. It creeps in, and we've got to be guarded against that because it controls us. Now, that's a silly, fun example of just sports. Everyone can kind of laugh at that. But now take it to the other side of things that God's Word calls sin. Things that are actually black and white wrong. Where followers of Christ are tempted into these areas over and over again. And we have to stand against them just as though we stand against anything else that would influence away from the work of Christ. Romans chapter 1. I want to give you an idea of what our culture is like. And I think the best way to see what our culture is like is to go back a couple thousand years. And I think by going back, we'll see what we have to look forward to moving forward today. Romans chapter 1. Look at verse 29. "...being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, in place, implacable, unmerciful. I'm going to ask, when you read through that list, as the Apostle Paul is describing the culture around him, as the Apostle Paul most likely is just looking out of his window and seeing the culture around him, the world around him, and natural understanding, meaning what we are naturally without Christ, look at that list for a second, and I'm going to guarantee you. You don't have to go very far into the list before you can go, man, that's our world today. That's our world today. All unrighteousness, fornication. Fornication, do you know what fornication is? Any sexual act outside of marriage. See, when, when a married person has an affair, we call that adultery. When an unmarried person has a sexual relationship with anyone, this is not just talking about um homosexuality this is talking about heterosexuality outside of marriage a sexual act outside of marriage is considered fornication this is not a problem in our culture this is not a pro- this is common this is our culture in so much so it's normal it's expected it's common wickedness covetousness covetousness we just call that having you know a desire to achieve you know what covetousness means? I see what my neighbor has and I want what my neighbor has. Because he really doesn't deserve it, I do. So I'm going to take it. got It's everywhere around us. You see, here's the thing. In 2,000 years, roughly since the Apostle Paul wrote this, not much has changed. Now we've been more advanced, right? We've got more technology and, and we're driving and we're flying. I mean, by the way, flying. Every time I fly somewhere... And David, I've talked to David about this all the time. Every time I fly somewhere, I'm like, I am blown away that I can get into a metal tube, leave the earth, and fly. There's no science and all this voodoo behind it. I don't care, okay? Ooh, mystic stuff. I don't care, okay? All I know is I get here, hour later, I'm there, boom, done. I don't have to drive, Okay? But it amazes me. It, it, Sandra and I flew out to, to California and, and Nevada and stuff this last couple of months ago. And I was sitting there, and I was like, isn't this just crazy? And, like, do you ever just stop and think about that? Like, we f- we're, we're flying, okay? And it was funny because people complain about, well, the Wi-Fi doesn't work very good in the airplane. Now the food's not very good. You're flying. <laughs> like, get over yourself. Holy cow. Like, you didn't have to. You got on a plane, sat. Two hours later, you're on the other side of the country, Well, yeah, but the Wi-Fi wasn't very strong. Couldn't check my Instagram. What? What is it even? It's just crazy. So we're more advanced technologically. We have more resources, more things like that. But at our core, as a culture, as a race, as a human race, man, we're still pretty much the same. Because here's what we see. When you read this list, you can see these things inventors of evil things. Here's a little thing for you. This has just blown me away years ago. Do you know the number one nation in the production of pornography? The United States of America. We produce, if not the most, almost the most. This was a few years ago. We might be second now. I don't know. But at one time, we were the largest producer of pornography in the world. We're not the number one consumer of it. There's quite a few other nations ahead of us on that list but we're the number one producer of it. There's something to be proud of. Inventors of evil things. It's It's just everywhere. And I love this. Disobedient to parents is actually listed in the list. Equal to haters of God. You know why I wanted to point that out? Because we do this in our culture too. Big sins, little sins. Well, yeah, I lied, but it was just a white lie. It's not really that big of a deal. It's not like we went all the way or anything. Do you, I mean, do you see how we can tend to do this? And the Apostle Paul is so bold, and I'm so thankful for his words, because he says, Christian, remember, he's writing to the church here, the church at Rome. He's saying, church, wake up, understand the culture so that you know what you're going up against so that you can be guarded against these things. All around us is violence and aggression. Hatred is rampant in our culture today. But is, all, is that all there is? Could there be more than meets the eye when viewing our culture and our world today? I want to walk through this and discover the good, the bad, and the ugly of our culture. So what is our culture like? Real quick, a couple thoughts, and then we're going to wrap it up. What is our culture like? Well, first and foremost, it's separated. It's separated. In reality, it started out so good, didn't it? In the book of Genesis, we read that when God finished creation, he declared boldly, it is good. However, it did not stay that way for very long. By Genesis chapter 3, we read that sin entered the world, and through sin came death. The death there means separation from God. The world that God created and called good broke itself away, separated away from his design and his plan. Paul is making a point here in Romans chapter 1 on how bad it's gotten from the time of Genesis 3 to the time of Romans 1. This time span, he's saying, listen, this is where our culture is today. Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3, a beautiful description. And it's actually is beautiful because it establishes the case that we are left in need for a Savior. That's what this is all about. Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 2, even Romans chapter 3 deals with the entire world. It's saying, listen, Jew or Gentile, religious, non-religious, man, woman, it doesn't matter. Every human being has fallen, is separated from God. And we need a Savior. And that's why we need to get to Romans chapter 3. After reading the words in Romans chapter 1, Romans 3 and verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Three chapters to build that case for that argument, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, our culture is separated. The Jewish people thought they were good because they were religious. But Paul points out that their law means nothing. The Gentiles were seen as those outside of God's presence. They were not part of the Jewish line. But they too were created to worship something, to worship God. But they were separated from him. So what did they do in their separation, in their confusion, in their ignorance? The book of Romans tells us, Romans chapter 1 verses 22 and 23 tells us what they did. They followed their natural desire to worship something and created something to worship. Romans 1, 22-23 says this, Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Did you ever just stop and think about just the foolishness of that? See, he says in the beginning, claim to be wise, they instead became utter fools. What's the evidence of their foolishness? They have a glorious, ever-loving God. And instead of worshiping that God, they choose to make a statue of a bird and worship that. I would call that pretty foolish. I would call that pretty ignorant to worship this rock. When instead you have the glorious God on high that desires their worship and longs and is jealous for it, the Bible says. Man, these foolish Gentiles, how could they be so foolish Well, I believe in our culture today, a Gentile that doesn't know about Christ, a Jewish person doesn't know about Christ, any human being on the face of the planet that doesn't know about Christ, their problem is not they need to just figure it out. The problem is that we as a church need to make sure they hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, that's on us. That's on the church age for 2,000 years. We've been called for one purpose, one mission, to make his name known. And not just where it's comfortable, and not just where it's secure, but where he stretches you and calls you. For some of you, that, that is going to be local. Some of you, to witness to your coworker, that's going to be the most extreme thing in your mind. You can't even imagine doing it. Some of you, it's going to another country. Some of you, it's staying in this country and doing missions work. I mentioned it before. I was so amazed. We went to Mexico in 2003. Yes, 2003 the college class of this church went to Mexico on a mission trip and our translator that was working with us, a native or national to Mexico was planning and preparing to come to the U.S. as a missionary. Just let that sink in for a moment. You know, once upon a time, our nation sent out more missionaries than anyone else. Between us and England, we were the most advancing of the kingdom of God. We sent out missionaries everywhere. But in the last 30, 40 years, some of those nations are now starting to send missionaries to us. And we have the largest population of Christians in our borders. We have the, not the largest number of total Christians. I mean, Christian workers, I should say. Pastors and youth pastors and all of that. Man, it's amazing to think about the fact that we have a job to do because the world is separated from God's design. It's separated, but also, secondly, It's broken a fallen world, a broken world before God. From the Garden of Eden till today, sin has entered and been rampant in our world. That sin has created great tragedies and horrible evils. Some we've guised over, some we don't talk about, some we do talk about to a great extent. But any evil, tragedy, horrible act, when a neighbor kills a neighbor, when someone steals, when someone lies, when someone cheats, when somebody is unfaithful to their spouse, in whatever way that looks, that is a result of sin entering our world. We live in a broken world. broken You see, by his grace, he can pick up the pieces. He can use the church to pick up the pieces of the culture and begin to see restoration in people's lives. We have all seen the effects of sin in our culture. We've seen it in the word of God from Cain killing Abel all the way through to what happened in Las Vegas just recently. Evil, tragedies, violence, hatred. And to be honest, as a follower of Christ, it just, it breaks my heart to see it. I joke about not watching the news, not because I don't really want to watch the news, because I just don't want to see it anymore. I'm just tired of it. Do you ever just get tired of people just being hateful? You just see people just treating people like garbage. And then you find out they're a Christian. Do you know why I quotated that word? Because I don't know that I would say they are. I don't know their heart. That's between them and God. But man, there's so much hatred in our world today. Everybody's mad at everybody and nobody knows why. And then there's the church. The church. And I'm not saying we don't stand up against the wrongs in this world. And in fact, I think we can stand up for the wrong against the wrongs in this world by being countercultural, by choosing to live separate lives from what we see around us, by not letting hate consume us and our speech, by not letting the evil around us get us into thinking that we've already lost. It's everywhere. Proverbs 21 and verse 2, I believe, is a model for our culture today and for most people that live in this world. Every man or every way of a man is right in his own eyes. You see, we can justify anything in our world today. Sin isn't a sin if it doesn't hurt anyone else. Whose business is it anyway? Yeah, I lied, but I did it so the truth wouldn't hurt someone else. And these are thoughts that our culture sees as okay. It's okay to commit heinous acts of violence if you feel like you were justified in doing so. It's okay to completely mistreat and abuse your neighbor. But the words you say and the ways you treat them, because, well, they, you just don't know them like I do. It's okay to be hateful towards somebody else because they dared to hurt you. And these things are things we have to wrestle with, but they're things that we have to wrestle with in the word of God because we all make mistakes. We've all sinned. I stand before you as a man that's not perfect. I've made tons of mistakes in my life. I've sinned before God. And you know I'm so thankful that he forgives and restores and uses us. That when we just call out to him and say, God, would you just cleanse me and use me? And turn me from that. He says, I will, and he picks us up, and he sets us on our way. But here's the thing. We have to be guarded against a culture that wants to pull us right back down. The mindset of people that don't know. They don't know the beautiful truth of this word, so they're just living in this world full of hate and violence and anger and aggression and all these things because it's what they know. And so rather than going to them in anger, let's go to them in love and compassion. And as Jesus was compassionate when he saw us as sheep having no shepherd, let us go and introduce them to the shepherd. The truth is, our world is fallen. Our world is broken. And as a result, the mindset of the world is driven by self and lust. Me first, I want it now. So what do we do about it? We've got two options. We can quit. Just decide we're just, it's too far gone. We're just going to hide in our churches and hide in my house. And by the way, I've wanted to do that before. Because it's crazy out there. Or we can understand that no, how, no matter how crazy our world gets, our mission remains the same. You see, we read the words of the Apostle Paul and we go, man, but of course he could do that. It wasn't as bad as it was, is now than it was then. He seems to think it's pretty bad. This sounds like a pretty rough culture to live in. Pretty fallen and broken world, but his mission remained the same. You see, it is broken. It is fallen, the world around us, but it's also reachable. It is 100% reachable. We need to believe that God can do it. We will break this down a lot more next week, dealing with engaging the culture. Well, we have to believe that no matter how dark it gets in the world, the light of Christ will shine brighter and brighter and brighter. And we need His light to shine in this culture. Don't believe the lie that just because it's gotten so bad that it's gone too far. It is not beyond hope. As long as there is breath in our lungs, we are a messenger of hope to this dark world. You see, we need to believe that God can do it. And then secondly, we need to act like God. Can do it. We pray and we live acting on the belief we have of God's ability to save anyone. Anyone. We share Christ in spite of the cultural climate around us. Romans chapter 1, look at verses 16 and 17. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says this For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. What's the the exclusion here? Who's not allowed? Who can't believe? Whoever chooses not to believe. Because whoever believes can experience salvation. Then he says this to the Jew first and also the Greek. He's saying it doesn't matter. Greek, there would be another way of saying Gentile, non-Jewish person. And and in the Apostle Paul's mind right now, he's saying that's kind of the two groups of people. There's the Jews and the non-Jews. He's saying it doesn't matter. If they choose to believe, they can be saved. Verse 17, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Man, you and I are walking in faith, believing in faith. And what's a key in faith? Believing not what we see, but what is unseen. Well, guess what we see very clearly around us? A fallen and broken world. But we don't trust in that. We don't focus on that. We focus on the person of Christ in the unseen faith that he says, Go, and I will use you. Speak, and I will give you the words. Share, and the power of God will be upon you. You can see people set free in your life and in others' lives around you. But if you don't say anything, if you don't act on it, And they're just left in this culture that is broken and fallen down. The Apostle Paul refused to let the culture around him stop him. If anything, it spurned him on with more passion and zeal. When it says unashamed there, I don't know what you've ever thought about that phrase. It says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And many people will say, all right, believer, all right, Christian, don't be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And when you don't speak out for Christ, you're showing you're ashamed. But I don't think the Apostle Paul had a problem with being shamed by the gospel. I don't think he was saying, man, I'm struggling with being, feeling a little bit of shame sharing the gospel. I don't see that anywhere in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul struggled sharing the gospel. The Apostle Paul struggled in his personal life, right? That what I want to do, I don't do. That I do, I don't want to do. Okay, we understand that because we've all been there. But man, everywhere he went, he shared the gospel. Even so much so, he had to be stopped by the Holy Spirit of God from going one place to go another because he just wanted to share the gospel so adamantly. What this really means here in understanding the text of who's writing it, Paul being a very intelligent Jewish writer, this is known as Jewish rhetoric or understatement. Understatement. It is meant to drive home the irony that the gospel was not only something he wasn't ashamed, of, it was his entire life. It would be like someone asking a musician who lives and breathes music. It's everything to them. They play, they, they just compose, they can't get enough of music, they just love it. And you walk up to that person and you say, "Hey, so you're kind of into music, huh? You're, you're kind of into that music stuff. What would they respond with? Kind of into?" It's everything to me. It's it's my life. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. By saying, I am not unashamed, ashamed. It's understatement. He's saying, it's everything to me. The gospel is everything in my life. So can we identify with the Apostle Paul? Can we understand the culture around us and still say, man, my mission hasn't changed? Because this culture, it's not the people, the mindsets the way people are living, the acts. Can I believe that even in spite of all of that, the person is reachable. The person can be reached for Jesus Christ. This world is crazy and sin is running wild. The church cannot hide in its sanctuaries or merely oppose the culture. We can't just pretend that it's not happening or complain only about what's happening. We must believe that by his Holy Spirit and the grace we have been given, Christ can reach this culture. Those that would respond in faith with eternal salvation as the result. Understanding our culture is not meant to discourage. Some of you might hear this and go, Wow, I'm not going outside tomorrow. That's a pretty messed up place. That's not what this is meant to do. Rather, understanding our culture is to make you aware of what trends and thinking we must avoid as followers of Christ. There's another word in that phrasing in Romans chapter 1. Verse 30 says backbiters. Do you know what a backbiter is? It sounds really painful, right? Like could you imagine just walking around and someone just grabs you and just right into your back? Like you'd be like, "Dude, like what was that about?" I've had a child bite me on the calf before. No one hears, child, if you were that parent, I would come to you and be like, you need to beat this child. No, I wouldn't say that. What does backbiters mean? It means gossip. And you see, in our culture, gossip is fine. But in the church, it's supposed to be a little different. And see, here's the point of the whole understanding our culture. is not just to understand the world around us. It's to understand your life in this world. And is there a vast difference between your life and the culture? You see, the conundrum we face over and over again in life is I say I'm a follower of Christ, but my life looks exactly like the world around me. The culture around me. And it can't be that way. What does the Bible say about sweet water and bitter, right? Fresh water and bitter. they can't come from the same resource, the same source. And so here's what I want to challenge you with. Is your life different than the culture around you? When you read this list of things in Romans chapter 1, do you go, man, thank you, God, for saving me from that? Because that used to be me. By the way, we all used to be that, Right? Can we just take a moment and say, thank praise the Lord that he saved you from all of that? What does Paul say? You used to be like these things, but now you've been set free from all that. You're a new man, a new creature. Or do you read that list and go, man, God, thank you for saving me from that, but I still see some of this in my life. That's just one listing, by the way. There's more listings in the New Testament that give different wordings for different things, but I think it's a great summary of the world around us. And how those mindsets have tried to creep into the church, and we have to be on guard. Not because we're being antagonistic and going after the culture, we just understand that's how the culture is. So, in spite of that, we're just going to stay focused and stay passionate and stay zealous for the things of Christ. But now, here's the challenge that all sounds really good in church. And some of you even nod your head when I say things like that, and you say, Amen, and you, that's great, praise the Lord and you get up from your chair, and we sing a song in a moment, and then you, you pick up your Bible and everything, you know, and smile and shake some hands, and then you go to your car, and you go get lunch, and you get home and just kind of lazing around, or maybe you're mowing the grass today, or, and then tomorrow morning comes, and you're right back into Monday, and you've almost all but forgotten today. You've almost all but forgotten what the Holy Spirit was impressing on your heart that you need to do in response to this. And so my challenge to you is this. Don't let your flesh or the enemy deceive you. James chapter 1, verse 22 says, we talked about it last week, don't be just, what, hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. Man, we could all go, that was, oh, man, that really was a convicting message. You might even get on, hey, that was a, I a great convicting message this morning. As though that's the goal, that's the point of it. Let me say this, if you ever feel like a message is convicting in some way, just know that it's been convicting me for like four weeks before it convicted you. Just file that away. Just know, because I have to be on guard, that the culture around me doesn't penetrate my way of thinking. Understand the culture, not to be discouraged, not to feel defeated, but to know what to stand against. And by the way, we don't just stand against the thing in our culture that's the most trendy, popular antagonistic thing this week. The trendy thing to get online and to rant about. We stand against our culture because we stand on the Word of God. And if our culture says this is right and this says this is wrong, we stand with this every single time. If it costs you something, good. Because, man, I want to suffer for Jesus. I'm tired of suffering for the culture. I'm tired of suffering for the world around me, but I man, I would love to suffer with and for Jesus because the Bible says what a blessing it is to sacrifice for Christ. And so I want to do this this morning. We are going to have a time of invitation and we're going to ask you to respond, but here's what I want you to do. I just want you to say, Lord, I understand the culture around me and, and I just want to be aware. And so here's what I want you to pray. Is there anything in my life right now, in my way of thinking, in my way of acting, that I've allowed the culture around me to control, to dictate, to influence, rather than submitting to the Holy Spirit and the Word of God? Maybe you would come and bend a knee and say, God, would you just reveal that to me so I can stand on the Word of God as a follower of Christ? I want to understand the culture around me also. Maybe you'd come and pray this, because I need to be reaching the culture around me. Because those people are not your enemy. Someone that doesn't know Christ, that is living in sin, they're not your enemy. God loved them so much, he died for them on a cross and says, Would you just go tell them that? And if they reject it, they reject it. That's not your decision. But you're called to share. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you just to respond. Don't worry about anyone else. Don't think about anything else. You just respond to what God is doing in your life this morning. And you just say, God, would you just work in this way in my life? I want to understand the culture so that I can be on guard against it, so that you are glorified in and through my life. Would you bow your heads this morning as we have a word of prayer, as the band comes, and as we prepare for invitation, I'm going to ask that you just right there with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, Here's what I would encourage you to do. How are you feeling, God, to call you to respond? Is there anyone here with heads bowed and eyes closed that would say, Lord, I don't know you, but I want to. Maybe I can come and pray for you. Maybe you'd raise your hand and say, Pastor John, would you pray for me? I don't know Christ is my savior, but I want to. Is there anyone with no one looking around? that would raise their hand and say, Pastor John, would you just pray for me? I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to come to you later. I just want to pray for you. Is there anyone that would say, Pastor John, I don't know Christ as my Savior. Would you pray for me that I'll open my heart to Him? I want to receive Him as my Savior. I want to confess my sins to Him that I know I have eternal life through His death, burial, and resurrection and surrender my life to Him that it would be eternally different. Is there anyone that would raise their hand this morning and say, pray for me, Pastor John, that's me? I want Christ in my life. Maybe you're here this morning and you know Christ, but you feel yourself drifting into a cultural way of thinking. Something in the culture is controlling and influencing you. Maybe you'd respond this morning. Father, may you lead, guide, and direct as we respond to you and what you have for us. Use our lives to glorify you. Give us discernment and wisdom that we're guarded against the things that would go against you and stand for your glory because, Lord, there is hope. We are messengers of that hope. And I pray that we would tell others about that beautiful, gracious salvation that is available to all who would believe. May you work now. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Don't even wait. Just respond. If there's something in your mind, your life that you know the culture is influencing, How do you want to respond this morning? You just call out to him there in your seats or here at the altar. Just respond and watch God do a great work. Let's respond to him this morning.